do come in. You are most graciously welcome to Tens on Tens, a girl talk comedy podcast in which two tens make top ten lists about whatever they choose and shoot the shit, as it were. So procure the libation of your choice and, pardon my candor, sit down, shut up, and listen. Here are your hosts, the debutantes of debauchery, the queens of crass, the mistresses of muckrockery, Emma and Lo. Hi, Tens. Welcome back to TNT. We have a little bit of a, a special episode for you guys today. Uh, first things first, uh, Lo, currently, she got a new job. We're so happy for her. Um, that doesn't mean she won't be back, but for right now, she's out of the building. So I thought I would take this opportunity to bring a few guests on for you guys while we have the chance. And I am so excited for today's guest. It is um, the person I think is the best at girl talk in the world, and that is, of course, my father. So want to say something to the people? Uh, well, that's embarrassing, but I just remember sitting here looking at you on that microphone. The last time you and I were on a microphone was when you were four years old. Really? At the radio station. And uh, my partner asked you what you were getting for Christmas and at what Santa Claus looked like, and you pointed at me. You know what? I think that uh, that was unkind of me, but I do also think you make a good Santa Claus. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. So let's get into it. Yeah. Um, well, first things first. Uh, well, I guess second things first, because the first thing we already talked about. But um, today's topic is really interesting. And I thought that you would be the perfect person to talk to about this, because this has always been something that you and I have kind of treated like a little bit of a hobby. Um, and it's we're going to be talking about urban legends. And I think that that's kind of a, a vague description. What does that mean to you? Well, so when I hear urban legends, it's it's stories that have you know morphed and manifested over the years, and they and and probably for the most part they're they're untrue. Yeah, you know, I think mm. the, like a lot of them are, but do you think there's ever any that could possibly? I think all urban legends are seated in something. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I actually ranked my list today from least true to most plausible okay which because i can't pick a favorite i didn't know about you i had a hard time so i didn't do least uh true to most plausible i just kind of listed them in, in the order of my interest yeah, yeah yeah sure so yeah that works i definitely feel like i steered more towards ones i had actually heard in my childhood or like you know my adolescence growing up repeated at slumber parties and camp and whatever mm -hmm. uh what about you did you did you find new ones when you were looking these up you know what? I didn't. Mm -hmm. You know this. Like I said, this has kind of been our hobby for a long time. So I, I, but I, I will tell you that I didn't find new ones. But as, when I researched some of the ones I wanted to talk about, I realized that I may have seen things that I didn't think I saw. Oh, okay, that's kind of fun. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. Okay, but um, I wanted to say that I think it's really cool that. I don't know. I would you call us like dark tourists in a way? Like when we go places, we're always looking for ghost tours. I think that's awesome. I, I don't think we're dark tourists, but I, I think that that just human beings naturally are curious about things they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think when it comes to paranormal and and you know urban legends and stuff like that, sometimes things are true. Mm, yeah. uh, like for example, in the category of cryptids, you know, there was a legend about a tiny reindeer or tiny deer in Vietnam oh, yeah. for many years, and they eventually found it. Oh, it, that's true, yeah. What yeah. is it called, the Dick Dick, I think? Yeah, it's, it's a little tiny thing, but they mm -hmm. there was a there was like a legend about it, and they actually found them. They just live really deep in the rainforest there, so. That's true, okay, good point. Yeah, sometimes I wonder if they'll ever like find, you know, Nessie, and then just say they found a new species. Well, my personal opinion is Nessie is a really big fish. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's that's completely plausible. It's a sturgeon, probably. It's a big old Leoplerodon. In the, <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> that's a stretch. Yeah, well. Well, you know, the thing about that is, you know, I didn't put Nessie on my list, did you? Oh, no, no, no. I, I tried to go beyond just like your, your surface level urban legends. And I wanted to talk about just some that were like my personal favorite. And if you're ready, I can go ahead and jump into it. I'll get Let's us started, get us rolling. Okay. Um, number 10 for me is one you probably haven't heard heard of before, but I know people my age probably know about it a little bit more because I saw this on Tumblr for the first time in 2014. <laughs> okay. So if you ever had a Tumblr phase, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it is, it's, of course- Is Tumblr even around anymore? Am I, I mean, yeah, but it, it it's at, not in its heyday anymore. I'd say it peaked right around like 2012. Yeah, because sure. I remember when I first started my job, mm -hmm. my new job, uh, we had- uh, 
we use Tumblr, so we don't yeah. anymore. Yeah, no. I was speaking of your new job. If the quality sounds really excellent today, don't get used to it, guys. We're in my dad's fancy studio, okay? Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're going to get there eventually, but maybe not as quickly as you want. This is a little little ear treat for you today. Anyway, okay. Um, number 10 is actually something for um, me called Alexandria's Genesis Syndrome. Have you ever heard of that before? No, but I'm just color me riveted. What is that? Okay, so... Let me read to you what I wrote in my notes. This is a medical condition that essentially makes perfect humans. Mm -hmm. Um, It was invented basically in the early 2000s, and it has been confirmed to not be real. Mm -hmm. But the way that it spread is literally insane to me. So uh, it originated in a fan fiction for Daria, which, as I told you, is that spinoff of Beavis and Yeah, I remember Daria, yeah. Yeah. and the author of this fanfic is someone named Cameron Aubernon, and he said that in his story he created these two people who had purple eyes, uh-huh. um, perfect skin, they were immune to all illnesses, they would live to be 170, all of this crazy shit. That's my mother. <laughs> well, yeah, and it essentially blew up. The internet was like, this is a real disease. This is so interesting. And I remember seeing it circulated on Tumblr and it got so out of hand that Snopes and a bunch of medical journals had to be like, this shit is fake, you dumbass bitches. Can you back up, please? Um, And it honestly, the more I read about it, it just sounds like the disease that turns everyone into Targaryens from Game of Thrones. That's like, because it makes you immune to fire. I think you can't gain weight. You don't have excess body hair. Women don't menstruate, but can still have babies they have perfect eyesight literally perfect humans yeah the utopian world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think that would not be very fun though purple eyes seems like they would be light sensitive to me most likely but what, you know what i find really interesting about that is that kind of falls right in line with you know if you say something enough something enough times people start to believe it literally i'll be you know the last eight years of our life in this country so um, so that's, I think that's really interesting. And have you ever met anybody who believes that's actually true? Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And people who claim that they make me roll my eyes. It's just like when, you know, you're in college and you go to a poetry class and everyone says they have synesthesia and I'm like, there's no fucking way all of you have this rare disease. Now, what is synesthesia? Synesthesia. It's when you... Uh, see colors and like hear sounds differently than other people so like you might associate that's called lsd (laughs) well it's the most common interpretation is like you know the the number four is blue you know when you hear a word you're like that word tastes like you know donuts to me it's it's weird and i'm sure people have it it's odd that you say that because i think sevens are blue Oh God, Dad! Don't tell me. <laughs> I don't so, have. I don't have that. But I, for some reason, I've always thought of a seven as being blue. I think creative people in general tend to um, associate characteristics with things that are boring to them. I'm not a numbers person, so I like to imagine a little drama between eight and nine sometimes. Well, you know me; I have to take my shoes off to do math. So, I, <laughs> I but know. I think people get confused. They they're automatically like, "Well, I'm a synesthetic or whatever," and I'm like, "There's no way statistically all of you in this class." Are. You know what I think happens is they saw it on the SAT and they didn't know what it was, so they looked it up and they said, "Oh, well, that's my way into parties in college. I can get a little sympathy." Um, they read a mango-shaped space in the seventh grade and never turned back, and. Then that's the truth. Um, and if you haven't read it, you're good. You're saved. You don't, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. So you want to know about my number 10? Yes, please. It's the Incorruptibles. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is cool. Okay. So, and I, and I don't mean that. What was the cartoon that you said I look like the guy on? The Incredibles. Yeah, it's not the Incredibles. It's the cor- Incorruptibles. <laughs> He's self-aware now. He knows. So Incorruptibles, uh, are. it's usually associated with saints. Yep. And it used to be in the Roman Catholic Church that uh, one of the pr- one of the qualifications to be a saint was that you had to be incorruptible. It's no longer that way. Yeah. Okay. But um, so basically, let me explain this. So, a normally when you die, if you're not embalmed or anything, you get stinky and rot. You mm-hmm. know, you just rot. That's the you know ashes to ashes. That whole you know Judeo Christian concept of ashes yeah. to ashes. So you do that. But some of these saints. Um, They've dug them up after they've exhumed them after a few years. And why would they exhume them? Because they thought they lived a saintly life and they thought maybe they would be a saint. And they want to get their, and, their finger bones for some kind well, of Well, no, church. no, no. That's something <laughs> totally different. So then, so then they dig up the bodies and the bodies are incorrupt. 
And so one of the stories that I think is really good is about St. Bernadette. Do you know who St. Bernadette is? I do not. So there's a place in France called Lourdes. Mm -hmm. And Lourdes is a mountain where a spring sprung up out of the mountain and built this gigantic lake and everything around it. And people go there on pilgrimages every day of the year, every year, Mm -hmm. and are healed in the waters. Um, And there's been actual cases that have been verified that people have actually been healed of cancer and different things like that there. I don't think it happens every day, but they, but to, I think to the Catholic church's credit, they actually have devil's advocates that work there. And if you don't, a devil's advocate is basically a person who tries to prove that a miracle is not real. A devil's advocate is a white man with a podcast. (laughs) Okay. So is there really a guy that does it? Every every millennial white man with a podcast has some fuck shit to say online. <laughs> well, no, so nice mouth. Um, so anyway, they so the funny thing about it, so they have a devil's advocate who tries to prove that it's not a miracle. Okay, and they ha- it's it consists of like a medical board and all these uh, you know scholars and stuff like that, and and you know there's been many cases of the year that they've just we don't know why this happened. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have, but it did. So in the case of corruptible, incorruptible saints, you and I are corruptible. Mm-hmm. We're going to rot even when we're embalmed. But in the case of Bernadette, she was buried without a casket in the ground. Four weeks later, they went and dug her up, and she was completely intact, not decayed whatsoever. You know what's crazy about that, though, is that if that were to happen to someone who wasn't super religious, they would have said they were a vampire. You know, you're exactly right. So, but, but hold, just hold that thought for a second. So they reinterred her. Mm -hmm. Okay. And she was, I think they dug her up two more different times. So she died in 1879. She was exhumed in 1879. Then she was exhumed again in 1909. And then she was dug up in 1919 and 1923 again. Now in 1990, so she was, she had become a nun and I, let me actually, let me go back a little bit. The story is basically she went to, she lived in a small uh, village in mm-hmm. France, Lourdes, and a uh, very poor family. And she had gone to what was essentially kind of a junkyard. I mean, so they were up there. I don't know what she was doing, gathering or, you know, leaving trash or whatever. Mm-hmm. And while she was there, she, this woman appeared to her and she could see her and hear her and talk to her. And she... um laid down the concept. She, she, you know, she went back and she told her priest and her parents and they thought they're all crazy. And the priest was blah, 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 blah. Well, finally the Bishop got involved and he said to her, you go find out, ask her her name. Mm -hmm. Who is she? And so she says, so she goes back and she asks her her name. She says, I am, uh, uh, concept, uh, Immaculata Concepcion, which means, Mm -hmm. you know, the Immaculate Conception. So that whole concept, and this is the part that I kind of go off the rails a little bit, because the whole concept of the Virgin Mary, if, if she was the virgin, gave virgin birth to Jesus, therefore she should also have been born without sin. Mm-hmm. So, there, so that's what that's based on. Okay. But that's what this woman said to her, and she went back and all of a sudden the church said, this is a concept we we're only just talking about, so yes, this is legit. Well, what happened was she actually had her dig a little hole in the ground, and water started springing up from that well, that spring. Oh, wow. And it has continued to flow annually. So with so back to St. Bernadette. So they dug St. Bernadette up mm-hmm. four times. The third time, the, the sisters in her convent washed her body. And they believed that whatever they did at that time caused some decay to happen. But she was still incorrupt the fourth time they dug her up. That's insane. And um, it, how long had she been interred? So she died in 1879, Mm -hmm. and she was interred, uh, exhumed the last time in 1923. Jeez. Uh, So when they took her, um, and and when they dug her up, they actually did an autopsy on her. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. So you'd expect a dead person, when you open them up, they'd have desiccated, dry, Mm -hmm. breaking down, stuff like that. Uh, It says her organs were still soft and malleable, according to the, this is the 14 times that wrote this article. And um, so right now her whole body is on display in a reliquary uh, and it's in um, St. Gilliard at Nevers, France. And that's where her, her convent was. And she's very beautiful. So that one's that one's worth looking up. Um, I think you said we could post a picture on on one of your social media things yeah. of her. We've got some really cool pictures of her. So 
Yeah, that's my number 10. I love that. I mean, that's just really interesting for sure. And even if you're not like into religion a lot, definitely it's one of the more fascinating parts of it. And she's not the only. There's hundreds. And then you did mention before about taking a chip of a, a saint or something and putting mm-hmm. all that. So Ro- Roman Catholic Church and I think Greek Orthodox churches actually have, uh, you know, like a piece of a saint somewhere and it's usually... They got in- a hankering for finger bones is what they got. Y- yeah. But, you know, sometimes they claim they have a piece of the cross or whatever and, yeah. they, and it's in the altar mm-hmm. um, uh, on the, uh, on the, in the sanctuary. That, I mean, it's cool, but a little, it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. What I do love about Catholics is they're like, they're like goth as hell. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty dope. Well, you know, having been raised a Catholic, uh, mm-hmm. I will tell you that there's good and bad and everything. And of course, that's a, that's a church that's been under a lot of scrutiny. So. Yes, but they've got a, they've got a vibe and they've got an aesthetic and I respect and I fear it. Yeah. So good for them. Yeah. Okay. Moving along. Number nine for me completely let's do like a 180 here but i wanted to talk about walt disney's cryo chamber yeah okay i've heard about this yeah, yeah, yeah. this is cool so this one is so funny to me and it's probably not true like i said ranked from least true to most but it's still fun to think about because i have two distinct theories about this okay mm-hmm. so first of all just some background for those of you who don't know but most of you guys should know um 56 years ago, Walter Elias Disney, that's his whole name. Mm-hmm. I did my research. He yeah. died. He died, yeah. right? Um, and a reporter from a tabloid called the National Spotlight claimed to have disguised himself as an orderly, snuck into the hospital where he was admitted, and saw him, uh, his deceased body, quote, uh, suspended in a cryogenic metal cylinder. So... He was already starting this room. It was a tabloid, right? But after Mm. Disney died, people immediately jumped into the like, well, what are they going to do with his body, right? Disney was notoriously super into Mm sci-fi. He made Epcot at Disney, right? And I didn't know that Epcot was an acronym. Did you? No. What is it? It stands for, I wrote it down. Um, Oh, Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Huh. Yeah. That sounds like Disney. Right. So he's super into that. So people are like, oh, he knows about this shit. Yeah. And he was reading a book that involved like cryogenics or whatever you call What is it? Cryogenic? Cryogenics. Cryogenics. Yeah. He was reading a book about it. Um, but that wasn't even the, the, the whole thing. His his funeral was extremely private, only really attended by his wife and his daughter. Yeah. And they buried his ashes, allegedly. A lot of people think they put him in a freezer underneath the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. No. <laughs> Which is proved to be not true. But, um, <laughs> Yo, yeah. whoa, whoa. Well, hello, I know. Uh, but what some people have, um, talked about being really interesting is that the last time he addressed his staff and like one of his like little movies he filmed at his desk, yeah. he like looked very pointedly at them, told them exactly what he expected of them in the future and that he would see them soon. It's like he was anticipating his impending doom and like that. Okay. Maybe he wanted to go freeze his head in something. But he also suffered from, like, really bad chronic lung problems, and he well, had yeah. cancer. Yeah, and lung cancer, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, he probably knew he was he was heading on his way out. But, yeah, that people were really suspicious of that. They're like, mm, I don't know so you So you're ready for me to blow your mind? Yeah. So I lived in Southern California <laughs> at the me. time that Disneyland was around. Yeah. And uh, so we're talking, like, uh, like, 67 to 71, right? Yeah. So uh, I went to Disneyland many times with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watched uh, Disney every Sunday night, and he hosted it. Mm-hmm. And I went to Disney uh, one time. The last time I remember, he was actually there, oh, and wow. I, I laid eyes on him. Whoa! But I have heard that he—it was his head that was frozen, mm-hmm. Futurama style. Yeah, and that quote-unquote basketball court in the top of the Matterhorn was where they kept his head. They're going to say they keep his head everywhere. Yeah, but I don't know where they keep it. But here's what I do know. Disney has a ploy. They're doing something on the inside. And I know specifically because of two things that exist. Disney on Ice shows and Frozen, the movie. Mm-hmm. Because when you Google Disney on Ice, what comes up? Not the theory about Walt's frozen head. It come up with the latest performance at the Whatever Center. And then... That tells you they're manipulating search engines. Yes. And then... That's crazy. They released the movie Frozen, <laughs> Disney's Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And now, this this is how bullshit starts. <laughs> I was like I was like that makes a lot of fucking sense Disney distracting yeah. us. 
Yeah. I'm just saying. That's, that's, that's how it starts. People say, well, because, you know, that's I think that's the thing with urban legends. People start something that could be slightly plausible. Yeah. And we all know that human beings kind of gild the lily a little bit. So um, I think I think that's. I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I saw someone talking about global warming recently and about how Florida is going to end up underwater. But they're like, Disney Island will still remain afloat. Like, Disney's got the money to put walls around the whole thing and just oh, yeah. say, you know, screw everybody. But, um, you know, if, if they could figure it out, they would be able to do it to Walt. I know it. Okay. You ready for my number nine? Yes, please. So you and I know this one really well. Oh, I'm so excited. So this, uh, you, many people know we had a civil war in this country back mm-hmm. in 1860, 61 to 64. Mm-hmm. And um, the very first battle of the Civil War took place in Manassas, Virginia. Mm-hmm. at Bull, uh, and, and so a little history lesson, the, the Union Army would call the battle based on the river, and the Confederate Army would call it based on the towns. So, oh, so you hear things like the Battle of First and Second Manassas, mm. and, the, and then you'll also hear the Battle of Bull Run. Bull They're the Run, same yeah. thing. So the very first battle at Bull Run um, took place, and people took carriages and picnics from D.C. to come out here. And it took the Union Army guys days to walk out to Manassas. And you know that's not that far from D.C. Right. And so, you know, back then, I mean, let's say maybe a full day's travel if they were going, because it's, what, about 30 miles? Yeah. So so at any rate, um, they retreated back to Washington in half a day because the Confederate they didn't expect the Confederate Army to be so powerful. Yeah. Um, so do you know what a suave is? I don't think so. So a suave is, uh, and both sides had them. Like a Rico suave? No, it was a, it was a soldier who wore like red pantaloons, like bloomy pantaloons and, and like what we would describe as kind of like a fez on the top of their head. Mm-hmm. And they were, um, their, their, um, uniforms were kind of based on the Zwawa, if I get that right, the Zwawa tribe in North Africa is what their soldiers kind of wore and stuff like that. So um, when you saw them, they were certainly really unique looking. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now into the story. Now, you know what a Suave is. Mm -hmm. So as you recall, Route 29 that went from where we lived down to Manassas Mm -hmm. on the right hand side of the road. You, you go across the famous, you see where the famous bridge is, where they retreated across the bridge. We've mm-hmm. been there. We've had pictures taken there. Yeah. And then the next thing you see down the road is some fields, and then there's a stone house on the right-hand side of the road. Oh, yes. So that stone house has, you know, been there. Uh, you know, it's served as a hospital for both sides and a lot of stuff. And, um, and then right across the street of that is, of course, one of the main battlefields for uh, Battle of Bull Run mm-hmm. or, or Battle of Manassas, wherever you look at it. And then, you know, to the east of that or to the southwest of that, there's another battlefield that where they were shooting cannons from and stuff. And at the top of that hill is a very famous statue of Stonewall Jackson sitting on his horse. And that's what, where he got the name Stonewall. Mm-hmm. There he sits like a stone wall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's there. And that's that's one of the statues that probably won't be taken down because it's in a, in a federal, um, you know, park. Mm-hmm. What happened in the first battle of Manassas, the Union troops got out there and the Confederates, frankly, came and kicked their ass. Yeah. And the they got flanked by Confederate suaves at one point, And the Union Army thought they were their own suaves. And so as these guys came up behind and started shooting at them, they realized. So in the second battle of Manassas, which happened several years later, um, the Union suaves were there, too. And... Um, they fought in that battle, but um, I think there was something like a 490-man battalion from the um, 5th New York Suaves were basically slaughtered. Right. Okay? And I wouldn't say all 490, but a large percentage were just slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And so um, this now gets into the story I want to tell you about Stone House. So we, uh, I drove by there every day on my way to work mm-hmm. when I worked down in Manassas, and I drove by there every single day. And... I usually, you know, because I was doing a morning show, I was up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. So yeah. I would dr- I would drive there, you know, when it was still dark outside year round. And I drove by that house many times where the lights were on or, you know, or, you, you know, um, coming home at night, the, the lights would be on or there'd be reenactors hanging around there doing the thing. So here's the part where I realized when I was doing the research that they may not have been reenactors. So we've had two experiences, one at St. John's Church, mm-hmm. where I think I had a face-to-face. I saw something there, too. Yeah. 
So um, maybe we should actually talk about that in a minute because those, yeah, yeah, those are good stories. But on the western tree line near where the stone house is there, um, they, sometimes ghosts of Suaves are seen there. And I have seen them and thought they were reenactors because there's reenactors there all the all time, the time yeah. and they recreate the battles you know mm-hmm. once a year with it's actually really cool to go see them do it on horseback and everything like that yeah um the other thing about that stone house is is um it was a hospital and sometimes they hear disconnected voices and stuff in there what was is that the right word disconnected or uh yeah disembodied disembodied voices so many years ago you know i had a i had a pa that lived a couple doors from us and we'd go shoot mm-hmm. stuff we bought a brand new camera yeah. and a new audio rig and um i said hey it'd be really cool to go down to bull run and and capture some video just testing out the camera and the video we took is terrible because we're like you know working with exposure sure. and different lenses and stuff like that but i made a deal with the parks that i wouldn't use it for commercial purposes and and um but when we got there there was a ranger there and he kind of showed us around and everything so we ended up at the stone house at the end of the the tour, mm-hmm. and it was a really interesting tour. Um, and I and I encourage anybody that has a chance to go to Bull Run or to Gettysburg to go. It's really yeah. interesting. So we go down to the stone house and we're walking around. And in the stone house is the ranger, mm-hmm. me, my production assistant, and uh, two women with uh, I assume one was a grandma and one's a mother and a little child. That was yeah. it in the whole house. Okay. Yeah. And so I had stopped rolling film, but the audio guy was still run, running audio. So that night when I got home, we were like going through it. And there's a place in there where we distinctly heard a voice. And the voice said, camera, like that camera. That's so spooky. And and it was weird. And and I said, well, that was probably the ranger. He goes, no, because I remember exactly where we were standing. The ranger was standing with me. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, there was those two. And, and I said, you know, we went upstairs and went downstairs. and We didn't see anybody else in the house. So the next thing I did, obviously, because I'm curious, is I put it up on an audio editor. Mm -hmm. And where that voice appears on the audio spectrum is a lot different than where our voice is is down here. You know, the line was like kind of high up and weird. And the voice was really weird sounding. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I actually caught an EVP doing that. So that's that's my number nine, the stone house at Bull Run. Isn't that the, the place that has that blood smear on the fireplace and stuff? I, I, I think yeah. so. I think it's so. a creepy, creepy spot, but definitely cool. Beautiful sure. house, though. I mean, it's been there forever. Right? I know. Yeah. It's sturdy as hell. Yeah. Um, that's for sure. And, you know, we were lucky enough to live in a place that was so historically interesting and always had places like that to go. Yeah. And like we said, the church that we went to when I was growing up was so old. So old. Well, yeah. It stood. It's actually a famous church because it was in pictures by Matthew Brady in the, in the Civil War. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was a hospital for both Confederate and Union soldiers at yep, the time. Yeah, um, and there is the historic building where the like actual church is, and then there's like an attached building, and and below too, there's like mm-hmm, a like they a dug out dug out church hall, but mm-hmm, and they would have like you know other congregations go in and do their services there. Um, tell me about what happened to you when you were there. So at St. John's, I think the entire congregation would fit what seventy five people, maybe max. Yeah, I mean it's not very big at all; it's mm-hmm. tiny. And, um, so, uh, it was a very poor church and, um, and so I had to, I was, I was there and I was on the warden board and I had volunteered with a couple other dads at the church to paint the church hall downstairs. Yeah. And it was a big project. So it took several weeks. And so like we would go after work and paint. So one night I would go over and the other two guys couldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So I'm down there, and it, of course, this is the perfect setup for any ghost story. Oh, yeah, right? of course. So I'm downstairs, and I have the alarms upstairs for the school and for the church turned on. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just because I'm just going to be in the basement. So yeah. I have that turned off. So I'm sitting, and if you remember this building, it came down from the church down to the church basement where there's this long stairway. Right. And then if you turned left at the stairway, there was like a kitchen in there for cooking, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I remember that. So I was sitting in that hallway between the stairway and the kitchen on my butt painting trim at the bottom right yeah and while i was sitting there i saw i heard the door at the top of the stairs open and somebody stomping down the steps it sounds like you know any one of the, the high school kids there just chomp mm-hmm. so i stuck my head around the corner and all i saw were two pairs of boots going back up the stairs to go out the door and so so i at that point i thought it was our pastor right and so i go upstairs open the door and i set the alarm off so I went and punched in the alarm code and everything yeah. like that. And and I, I I go back down to the basement, lock that door behind me, and I call the police. Good for you. And I call, and our, and our, our, uh, 
our pastor actually was in D.C. at the time at the National Cathedral at some meeting. Mm-hmm. And I texted him and he said, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not there. So the cops come and the cops said they've done that many times. They've For come out church. there and searched the building. So they came through guns drawn, went through the school, went through the church, went through the sanctuary, went all over the building to try to find something. And I mm-hmm. said, I'm so sorry. Maybe I'm just... He goes, well, the alarm did get set off. We got a report of that. And I'm like, well, it wasn't me. And yeah. and and the guy says, you know, we see lights in here on here all the time. Oof. Yeah, that's super scary. I saw one in the middle of the day, though. Yeah, this is good. Tell the story. So I didn't do this all the time because, you know, when I was when I was in high school, I was in the in the choir at the church. Mm-hmm. And I don't go to church anymore. But at the time, it was really fun. I liked learning how to sing. And sometimes we would have practice immediately after Sunday service because mm-hmm. we had to do whatever practice for something. So we would run into the the extra building, the the new building, and disrobe and take all of our you know stuff off. And usually by the time we'd done that, people had cleared out of the church by mm-hmm. then, yeah, because it's so small, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they were out in the in the foyer having snacks and talking to people. And then um, <laughs> I remember we were about to start practice, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot my my binder of music up in the choir loft. I'm gonna go and get it." So I ran into the church, into the side door over by the the uh, yeah. altar. Yeah. Um. And as I was in there, you know, you, you're facing the, the back of the church, and that's where the choir loft is, up above all the pews. And, and this is a choir loft that maybe 12 people could be in. Yeah, tiny, it's very, tiny, very tiny, small. Tiny. And they would fit both um, the adult members of the choir and the, the children in there. And an in, organ. Yeah, it was insane. Anyway, I look up at the choir loft, and I see there's somebody sitting at the organ. And I thought it was maybe, you know, one of the other adult members of the choir. Yeah. Um, and I remember he was wearing something dark. And I was like, oh, it's probably whatever. And so I ran up the stairs. And by the way, it would take me three seconds to get from where I was standing, where I saw someone, to get up to the choir loft that has one entrance. Right. So he couldn't have passed you. He could not have passed me. But when I got up there, nobody was there. And that was so terrifying. Well, you know, that one, that that story. So I'm not, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff. And and as I go through the list, you'll see, I've seen a lot of stuff that I don't understand, but I never really thought they were paranormal. St. John's, I thought, but I never felt like they were bad things. No, I thought they were positive influences. But I will tell you, St. John's had some crazy stuff. And one of the funny, as a warden, I used to look at some of the old documents and things like that in the church. And they had registration books, books where people wrote things like, I love this church. It's a beautiful. It's beautiful, mm-hmm. and and the reenactors are a nice touch. Yeah. Hey. Ooh. Uh, we, don't we didn't have any reenactors. Yeah. No, we so. don't got those. But, you know, that's what I really love about the American South, specifically. Everything feels a little spooky. Yeah. And I love that. All right. So what's what's your number eight? Okay. Um, that's a little bit further up than the American South, but you know, close enough. It's the Pennsylvania bus to nowhere. Have you heard about this? No. I found some cool ones. This you, you is the did. only one I didn't know about before I did my research. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, I got to talk about this. So um, this one is actually, it's creepy for sure, but it it's kind of more positive than the other ones. Mm-hmm. So as we know, Pennsylvania, obviously, like any big city, has a great bus system. And this particular bus system is um, called SEPTA. And it, it as it's an acronym. I don't know what it stands for. But yep. um, there is a bus that locals see often that is part of the SEPTA transit system that has no distinctive signage or numbers on it and it has no route that you can find on a map but it is said to be seen around uh lots of places like West Powelton City Center Haverford Dauphin all of those places I don't know how you guys say are are there people riding on it oh let me get into that gig girl okay girl yeah everybody's girl (laughs) miss girl I'm daddy (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so it has no number. This bus allegedly will not stop for anybody that has a preconceived destination in mind. So it will not stop at... Okay, I call bullshit right now. Oh, no, listen. It doesn't stop at bus stations. It just keeps going. People see it, but it does not stop at bus stations. And the, the urban legend around it is that it only stops for people who are at their worst moment in life. They have no hope left in them like they cannot go on another day Mm -hmm. it will drive past these people one time and if that person chases the bus the bus will stop for them and let them on never to be seen again well here's what people report they get onto the bus the driver does not look at them doesn't acknowledge them at all 
doesn't do anything. Nobody can tell if it's a man or a woman. Their face is a little obstructed. The only thing they do is motion for them to sit. They don't have to pay a fare. Some of them give them spare change, whatever. People who have been on the bus report immediately being overcome with a sense of deep contemplation. Very, very deep, like, I have to sort my shit out. kind of energy and they sit down on the bus and immediately start to dissect their life and they go back through every choice they've ever made and figure out where they went wrong until they reach an epiphany of where they can change that is the only time that you are snapped out of your weird state of contemplation and you can pull the lever to get off and it will drop you off allegedly where you need to be yeah probably south philly somewhere yeah right eh? (laughs) anyway that's the that's the idea it's the concept of like a, a second chance bus and people who see the bus that passes by them and they're hopeless and they don't chase after it are never given a second chance so i have a question so yeah. the people they they interviewed that have been on this bus mm-hmm. Is it firsthand? Are they firsthand interviews or are they my cousins? I mean, all urban legends are like my cousins, whatever, you know? Yeah. But I mean, there have been a lot of reports of seeing a bus around Philly that has no distinct signage on it that has been um, documented a few times. You know, I used to have a couple friends in DC who bought a old uh, DC bus and they called it Ghost. Mm-hmm. And it's go home on safe transit is what it stood for. And they Cute. had a silver and they would take all the college kids from Maryland and stuff mm-hmm. down to the bars to take them back home. Hey, we love that. Yeah. But I mean, there's some creepy things about this particular bus is that like when you get on the bus, you can't see what's passing you on the outside. You know? Harry Potter, eh? Uh, yeah. Where are you going? Apparently the length of time that you're on the bus can be years. Oh, sh- Like, no, that's. On. No, that's the urban legend part. Like you, if you, if it takes you that long to go pe- through all of your choices and where you messed up, some people are on there for a long time. It's a good diet plan. <laughs> well, they say that there's other people riding, but you're just so into your own thoughts, you don't even care and notice them, really. Okay, so I'm gonna have to look up that. One. It's a cool it, one. I've never heard. Well, of that before. the the concept is really cool, but it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it. My bullshit meter is going off the whole. I mean, it probably, but you know, I do like the concept of you know building the story around the idea of a bus that just doesn't have signage on it. So, uh, my number eight. Yeah. Okay, my number eight uh, is uh, one of the most beautiful performance halls I've ever seen. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was the inspiration for Ford's Theater in Washington D.C. And. Um, <laughs> Yeah, she's just like coughing into Sorry, my microphone's giving me the plague. Um, so anyway, so this theater is called Thalian Hall, mm-hmm. and it's in Wilmington, North Carolina. Nice. Now, Wilmington, North Carolina is on the coast of North Carolina, uh, sitting between the Cape Fear River and the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and, you know, it's famous because they make a lot of movies, or they used to make a lot of movies there. And, um, you know, when I was in college and stuff, we would make money being extras in movies and stuff for... <laughs> Standing and standing, look, mm-hmm. looking like you know. I, one time we did a stand-in for a Michael Keaton movie called Big Trouble, I think is or no, I can't remember what it was called or The Squeeze. Oh, cute! And they had a bunch of you know blonde-haired frat boys there, and then they had to reshoot the whole scene because nobody looked Italian. So you were it was like, fun. oh, blonde-haired frat boy, you said? Yeah. So it used to be he's supposed to look like uh, Little Italy, but. <laughs> Long story short, so Thalian Hall is this beautiful theater, and if you're ever in North Carolina, there's there in Wilmington, there's a lot of really cool haunted things to see. Um, you know, Cornwallis had his headquarters there. There were mm-hmm. slaves sold uh, at the Cotton Exchange downtown. Yeah. Um, the USS North Carolina is there, which has tons of ghost stories on it. Um, but Thalian Hall has uh, is apparently occupied by three ghosts: two males and a female. Mm-hmm. And I would say this was probably about 1990 or 1991. I was a local disc jockey there. Yeah. And I had been invited to be a celebrity guest on this fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And I already, it was so long ago, I don't, I don't even remember what the fundraiser was. But it was a play put on, but more like a skit type thing, you know. And we did it in Thalian Hall. And it might have been for the March of Dimes or something like that. And so I played the, I played the role of like an MC. Mm-hmm. And um, and I want to say it was some kind of a pageant or something. I can't remember. But we're standing in there and the director is like, you know, I'm not an actor. So I, I was just kind of like faking it. And yeah. the director's like, um, what do they call it when they put your marks on the stage? What's it called? Blocking. Blocking. So I'm blocking the scenes with him. I was a theater kid. So. Okay. Yeah. So we're <laughs> blocking the scenes. We're walking through and there's nobody in there but me and him in this mm-hmm. big, huge staling hall. And then suddenly the wardrobe lady comes in there and she's like all worked up. And so she gets his in his face and they're talking. So I just kind of walk over and I'm trying to study my lines, remember them and stuff. And I would 
you know how sometimes when you see a line, then you will look away and try to repeat that line to make sure. So I was reading the line, and I kept, and I looked up, and I looked up, and on the left side of the balcony, there was this woman, you know, sitting there with her arms crossed, like looking at the stage and stuff like that. And and uh, and so when the wardrobe person and the director finished, I said to the director, I said, "So you have somebody taking notes on on the blocking?" And he goes. No, I, I do it myself. And I said, well, there's that woman that's, is that woman over there taking notes? And he, and he goes, where? And I said, right there in the balcony. Nobody there. And he just looked at me and smiled. And he said, you are now an official actor because you have seen the ghost of Thalian Hall. That's so crazy. And let me tell you something. What's crazy, you know, and I, I, I still don't really think I saw a ghost. I think there was somebody sitting there because it looked legit. There was no, yeah. no invisibility or anything like that. I mean, if I was a ghost, I think I would fully apparate and appear at a theater sounds like you know dinner and a show it sounds fun to me i think i would love being a ghost and i love scaring the shit out of people <laughs> you know what i i think if i was ever going to be a ghost where i can apparate i would like be like i'd show up on on sunday for football and sit on the couch and have a beer and yeah flip those people the hell out do you ever notice that like when people report ghost sightings, it's never like a 2007 ghost they're like i've just been watching naruto on your netflix sorry <laughs> It's always like a Victorian woman, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, there were some... So we've talked about my theory about what ghosts are many times. Mm -hmm. And so I have more of kind of a scientific view of what ghosts are. So you know how um, back in the day, you know, when I was young in radio, we used tape. Mm -hmm. And so the way tape works is it it, it actually uh, transfers magnetic particles arranges those magnetic particles on the tape. So when it goes across the playhead, once they're recorded and assembled in the right position, they make, they record the sound. Okay. So, and and in order to do that, all the conditions have to be right. You have to be putting the right amount of voltage on there and all, all, all the different things that are involved in recording on tape. So my, I thought about this many years ago and I think I was like 20 when I came up with this. Mm -hmm. If you go to a place especially old structures and stuff where the ambient temperature is 71 degrees, the moisture and humidity level is 80% and it's dark and there's, you know, several other atmospheric factors going on. Why couldn't something play back? Because um, it's, yeah. it's only light. I mean, you know, we are not in the construct of what a human is. We're just light and energy. So yeah, sure. if those conditions could be replaced again, or created again, exactly, why not would you see a replay? Well, I mean, if you want to get existential on Maine, time isn't real. You know, it's all an illusion and everything's happening at one time. So yeah. that's also a concept. Well, you also got to consider is how many actual ghosts that you've heard, ghost stories that you've heard um, are, you know, bad ghosts. Yeah, they're normally not. I have one that we're going to talk about later. Okay, all right. We love a bad ghost, but um, we'll leave that one for now. My next one is not a ghost. And this is your number seven? This is my number seven. Yeah, it's not a ghost, but this is my all-time favorite urban legend. Straight up urban legend. Like, no ghost story involved. We're talking the calls coming from the inside the house type urban legend. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. This one is my favorite, and I remember hearing it for the first time at like a slumber party when I was 13 and being yeah. like, oh my fucking God, right? <laughs> yeah. Changing my life. Okay, and it's called Doggy Lick. Yeah. Have you heard of this in a while? No. Some iterations are called The Licked Hand. Okay. So let me know when this rings a bell to you because I know that it will. There are several versions of it. We can trace it back mostly to like the early 80s when it started, but uh -huh. every story involves a woman she's a young woman usually at home by herself for the first time um and she's a little scared right because she doesn't do that very often um and she hears on the on the tv there's a serial killer right that's a classic setup she's like oh shit and she locks all the doors very smart and so she can't sleep really well so she's like let me get my dog i'm gonna have to take my dog into my bedroom let him sleep with me and so the dog sleeps under the bed <clears throat> So she goes to sleep, everything's fine, and she keeps getting woken up by like a dripping noise. And she's really scared because she's terrified. She's by herself at home. And so when she's scared, she just reaches her hand down under her bed and the dog will like reassure her and lick her hand. And she's like, okay, it's fine. So this happens like three or four times and she's terrified, but she still keeps, you know, going back to sleep because the dog's there. She wakes up in the morning and goes into the bathroom the dog is horribly mutilated in the shower, blood dripping into the shower, and on the mirror, in blood, written, humans can lick too. 
Okay. I've never, ever heard that story, but that is seriously effed up. So, so scary, right? That is a scary story, but that, that really sounds like that's not It's good. a super duper urban legend, yeah. but I, I couldn't ignore it because I was like, this one gave me, ooh, because it creeps me out so much. And there's like this study about how you're more likely to remember things that terrify you. Yeah. And I've never forgotten about it. And I have read several versions of it. That one's not even the creepiest one. Yeah. The creepiest one is about the ex-boyfriend who kills her boyfriend and like cuddles her. That one's creepy. Well- Okay, does that spark, you know, we we can talk about that in a little bit, because I know we're going to talk about the same thing from Key West, but that was one of those in Key West. Well, yeah, it's bit, but you know, this concept is like, you know, Crazy. she didn't, yeah, she didn't realize it was a different person. Anyway, that one's spooky. Um, what's interesting about it, though, is so like urban legends, right, they change over entire over time, because it's basically one big game of telephone. To remain, right? to remain contemporary. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Um, and people just pass them on so often that things change. But what's really cool about right now is that urban legends are changing because the way that we're telling them is changing. Mm -hmm. It's not word of mouth so much as copy paste. Mm -hmm. So urban legends actually go through less like deconstruction and rebuilding now yeah. because you're getting the verbatim words in, you know, chain emails or whatever. Right. And I think that's really interesting. I just wonder how stories like this would, you know, would work now. I'd, I just love that. Well, I think I think you know, um, you know, you still hear uh, you hear stories about ghosts haunting the property in in Los Angeles where Manson killed uh, mm -hmm. Sharon Tate and stuff like that. Yeah. So, well, Manson didn't kill him. He got well, Manson got, yeah got his bitches to kill him. So <laughs> he's my killing bitches. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What a crazy dude mm. that was. Think is a the world being him being gone is a big favor to the world. So you want to know what my number seven is? Yes. My so I'm gonna say the name. You tell me if you've ever heard of this. Okay. Betty and Barney Hill. Yes. Okay. What do you know about Betty and Barney Hill? Um. I, oh God, I, they're the alien people, right? I, that right. It is. So yeah. this is what's interesting about Betty and Barney Hill, and and I have to credit iHeartMedia. They just did a really. I get. I think they did it a couple of years ago, but as usual, I didn't catch it till this year. But of it course. was. It was a podcast about Betty and Barney Hill and, and all the science around it and everything mm -hmm. like that. So Betty and Barney Hill uh, were, um, this is this is interesting for a lot of reasons because Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple. And this was in 1961 and they'd been at, at um, Niagara Falls. Well, you know, that must have been hard for them as prehistoric well, well, couples. That, that, well, what I'm saying is I'm, 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 I'm kind of putting it into perspective here. So um, that was a Flintstone. I, I know. I gotcha. <laughs> I know. I just try to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Re realizing that I was born four years later, so uh, shut yeah. your face. Yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, so they're so they're coming back in these country roads in New Hampshire, and um, and it's late at night, and somewhere like I, I want to say it's like ten, ten thirty at night, whatever. And as they're going down this road, they see this bright light kind of appear in the sky and move slowly across the highway. So Barney Hill at one point stops the car dead in the in the highway, in the middle of the highway to see what it is. Mm -hmm. And as they're sitting there watching, there's a, like, I guess it was a ski resort or something right there where there, they, it flew over to the top of this restaurant that was on the top of the mountain. And then it flew down. Mm -hmm. And in modern times, they, they, they try to debunk the story by saying what well, was just a light from the restaurant. So they lost time. And somewhere later, late at night, they found themselves partially in the woods in the car, the car, um, uh, the, they, in other words, they were in the car, but they had the feeling that they were, their clothes were not as they put them on and, and, and other things like that. So this, what's unique about this, this is the first recorded case in modern history of abduction. Mm -hmm. And uh, many of the stories that have come down over the generations since then are based kind of on this. Uh, so, yeah. so when, when investigators talk to them about, you know, they l listen for close details. So a couple things happen. So they get they get abducted. They get on the plane. They separate them and they um, draw semen from Barney, mm -hmm. and, and they do an amniocentesis on Betty. Okay, invasive. Yeah, and she said it was super painful and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And but she was determined to communicate with these people, and and so she started to communicate with one who apparently she says in her and there's. Hours and hours of hypnosis sessions. And, and I really, if you're listening and you're interested in this, you need to go look up Betty and Barney Hill because there's really interesting stuff. Yeah. So hours and hours of them being recorded. Now, Barney died in 1969. Mm -hmm. 
And she died in like 2004, I think. Okay. And um, James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. uh, and I forgive me, I don't remember the name of the actress, made a movie about this mm-hmm. many years ago when I was a kid. But one of the interesting things that came out of this was Betty kept asking them where they were from. And one of the, um, and, and a lot of stuff was elicited from her after hypnosis because I guess they, you know, they did the, yeah. you will not remember right, the, the Je- Jedi, Jedi words. Sure. So what, she remembered that she was on the plane and she was fascinated by what they were saying. And so she asked if she could have this tablet that he was holding and she described it as a book. Okay. But based on how it's described in your hypnosis sessions, they think it's like a modern day, like... Like an iPad. Well, something like that. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, he shows her a picture of a star system of where they're from. Mm-hmm. And so in hypnosis, she draws this star system out. Okay. And so researchers get all over that. And they identify it as uh, Zeta Reticuli. Okay. Star system. Okay. Yeah. Now, she was not an educated person, um, and so there's some doubt. Some people say, well, she could have seen that on the Twilight Zone or something, because the Twilight Zone was out at that time. Yeah, love that show. So she could, have, she could have seen something like that, but knowing Zeta Reticuli is, you know, really specific. Um, and there's so much more, but she, she, over the years, wrote many different things, was interviewed very several different times, didn't change her stories. One of the things worth mentioning, she often... Um, added things to the story, but the Mm -hmm. base story was always the same the whole time. Uh, When they came back, Barney, now you won't know this, but when I was a little kid in the 60s, you had your street clothes and your play clothes and your street clothes were always like super clean and stuff like that. So you got to look, you know, your brown belt and your brown, you know, Buster Brown shoes and stuff like that. So Barney Hill, one of the first things he noticed when he, when he kind of came to to get his wits about him is that his, the toes of his shoes were all scuffed like he'd been dragged. Oh, that's a really specific detail. Yeah, and he he mentioned that, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and then they the both of their watches never worked again. Interesting. So that's Betty and Barney Hill, and that's you know you know teach a man to fish. This is something you uh, I'm I'm telling you people get look into this. It's really interesting. You Wasn't may not believe this it. The all. couple that said that they they were abducted by like gray men with big eyes. They were the first yes. people to create that kind of concept yes. of aliens. And that's why critically when people's uh, you know claim to be abductive when researchers look at it they critically compare the the elements of their story with other abductions because mm-hmm. you know there becomes a sameness across the board. Now if it's all grays or whatever green men or whatever mm-hmm. capturing these people then that would be true but there would be some detail t- details in their dialogue that would be so specific to uh, something else that they can say, well, you know, it's plagiarism. Sure, Essentially, sure. subconscious or conscious right. plagiarism. So, yeah, that's my number seven. Love to see it. So, okay, number six for me. I don't think you know about this one either. I tried to pick ones you probably didn't know about. I know, I love it. It's, right, it's fun. Um, have you ever heard of uh, La Pascualita? La Pascualita. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm assuming it's Spanish in origin or South American in origin. Mm-hmm. It's from Mexico. And Pascual, I don't remember what the word Pascual means. It's a, it's a name. So it's a diminutive. Oh, Pascualita is like a little boy or a little girl. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So this is in um, Chihuahua, Mexico. In Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. Chihuahua. Yes, there is. Can you tell the story in Spanish? Hay una. Tienda <laughs> para la boda. You see? Claro que, claro uh-huh. que sí. Okay. So for those of you who don't speak Spanish. I, you know, I'm, a, I'm such a dad. Emma's fluent in Spanish. Okay. I'm so proud of her. So uh-huh. she just won't ever do it for me. You can tell because I'm it's annoying. like dance monkey dance. When I, when I say like Spanish words on this, they're like, listen to this white girl say carnitas. Carnitas. I hate it. Anyway. Remember that tongue twister we learned when your kids, que rápido corren los ferrocarriles? Uh, I cannot say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway. I probably didn't say it right. But, but you, know. you said... How fast the train cars go. Yeah. That's what that is. Que rápido corren los ferrocarriles. Yeah. Anyway. Or there's, there's the other one. It's tres tristes tigres tragamos entrega. You did it. Good <laughs> good work. Good job. <laughs> Nailed it. She, you know, folks, you don't see her face. But she's, she's like going, sure, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love that for you. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Um, in Chihuahua, Mexico, there is a bridal shop um, and it's called La Popular popular the okay, popular right, right. yeah um and it is famous not because it's you know a great bridal shop or anything because it has a mannequin in the front and it is 90s 90 years old now um and 
she is called La Pascualita, and she is so named because she is allegedly the embalmed corpse of the former shop owner whose name was Pascuala uh, Esparza. Mm-hmm. And so they just, they don't know what her name is, but mm-hmm. they call her La Pascualita because of that. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow, that's messed up. Okay. Listen. Is this the place where the rocking chair? No, I don't think so. Okay, go ahead. Um, anyway, uh, at first she just looks like a creepy mannequin. You're like, hmm, I don't like that. She's got like glass eyes and shit. You're like, ah, okay, no thanks. But up close, she is eerily detailed. She has creases in her hands. Like, you know how you have mm-hmm. little lines in your hands yeah. and pores? <laughs> uncomfortable. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. She's got like rosy cheeks and long. She's incorruptible. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Literally, but she's got that long brown hair and she knows she's got false eyelashes on, but her skin is ashen and pale. Like it is, it's kind of creepy looking, right? Um, So we don't like that. Some people have reported seeing her move at night, Mm -hmm. uh, which I don't think that that's true. (laughs) But, you know, I I do think it's possible there's something up with this mannequin that's Mm. really weird. Um, so the story is allegedly in the 1930s, uh, Esperanza's daughter was going to get married as, you know, every urban legend, there's always a tragic bride and she was bitten by a spider and it killed her, a black widow. Um, wait a minute. I'm confused here. So the, the daughter that's embalmed and sitting in the storefront was getting married. Yeah. She was going to get married. And so it's not a little girl. It's no, it's a, it's a woman. Right? Shiza. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. She, it's like a young woman, right? A 20-something. Yeah, okay. She um, was bitten by a black widow spider and, and passed away. And mm. the shop owner allegedly went nutso. Yeah. And, I would too. Yeah. And uh, embalmed her. And it, like literally days after her death, this mannequin appeared in the storefront window. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and we don't know what happened to the daughter. It's suspicious and creepy. They have updated La Pascualita recently. They did like a renovation on her. And people are like, oh, it's fake. You you had to renovate her or whatever. And people are like, well, yeah, you got to renovate a dead body or else it'll start to smell, bud. Like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so that one's creepy. Wait, uh, time out. So <clears throat> when they renovated the body, did they, did they determine it was a body? They will not say. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> the current store owner. Sales would plummet if it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The current sale uh, store owner won't say. But the current like workers that work there say that they have to change the dress every two weeks and it's their least favorite thing because the body creeps them out so much and it is very, very cold to the touch. That's weird. It man. is a really creepy thing. I really recommend looking her up. Her face doesn't look real, but her look at her hands and you're like, that's a those are people hands. Yeah, that's weird. It's that's really weird. Creepy. So my number six this is another one we're going to be able to discuss together because mm-hmm. we experienced this firsthand. Mm-hmm. So in Key West, Florida, it's it's a fun place to go. And, and you know, some people might roll their eyes when we say, but we went there on a family vacation, you and me and mom. Mm-hmm. We went, and you were in college, I think, at the time. It was right after your freshman yeah, year in like, college. I was like 18. Yeah, but it was freshman or sophomore year in college whenever mm-hmm. we went there. So. Yeah. Well, you know, down no, because you were legal drinking age. I was not, and I remember being very upset about it. So I was nineteen, like eighteen or nineteen. Okay, so like I think in like nineteen. Yeah. So we go down there, and my my poor <clears throat> wife had food poisoning. She'd been in Malaysia, mm-hmm. and she got really sick, and so it didn't really hit her because she came home from the airport, and we immediately got on another plane, and went to Key West. Until that first day we were in Key West, and yeah. she was so sick. I felt bad for her. So Emma and I decided to go on a ghost tour together. We're like, sorry, you're sick. Bye. And really not, that's not my wife's cup of tea. So Emma and I go on this ghost tour. And, you know, they're fun because you can joke around and stuff. But we actually saw some shit. Well, before we get into this, I do want to say, if you ever go traveling, the best tour to take is a ghost tour. Because, you know, you're going to get history that is not on the, you know, on the Wikipedia page, right? It's It tells you all the interesting local stuff. And those oh. are the best. I did them in, we did them in, in, in North Carolina. I've done them in New Orleans. They're so fun. I, I did I did one in Ireland. And it, yeah. some of that stuff was messed up. That's cool. We could, we could do another episode oh, on that. Yeah. On just Crazy that one all along. For yeah. sure. So, so we're going to talk about Robert the Doll. Ooh, icon, icon. So everybody knows, you know, well, not everybody. I'm sure most people know what Robert the Doll is. And Robert the Doll is a, kind of a sa- sailor-looking little creepy doll. And he's in the museum in Key West. And apparently the deal with him was there was a husband and wife who had a small child. His name was Gene. Gene. 
And they moved in this beautiful house in Key West. It's still standing today. And uh, and on the top, it had a turret tower um, type room. It mm-hmm. was an octagon type room. And that was the playroom for the little boy. Mm-hmm. They hired a um, nanny uh, who was Caribbean of some some form of Caribbean. Mm-hmm. I don't know what island she was. Probably Trinidad or something, something like that. I don't know where she was from. But she gave him this little doll, Robert, as a playmate. And so... Uh, well, she gave it to him when she was fired. Yeah, oh, yeah. She got fired and she gave him this little doll as a playmate for him so he wouldn't be lonely, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out the bitch was being evil because the doll was possessed. Okay. Allegedly. We don't know. <laughs> so, Well, so here's the thing. So people would walk by the, the house and they would see this little head bopping between the windows up on that octagon floor there. And uh, so, and then, you know, things would happen in the house. Like mom had a terrible accident, broke her leg or something like that. And he said, Robert did it. And, mm-hmm. and so they're thinking their, their boys is, you know, problems. They, well, so they locked the doll away in a trunk for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And when the parents died, the son, Gene and his wife, came back to the house and they were going to take ownership of the house. And, and he finds Robert, the doll in a trunk in the attic. Am am I getting this right? This is right. Though. One thing I want to mention is that the name Robert is actually the, the little boy's name was Robert Jean. He went by Jean and the doll is named after him and looks like him. Yeah. Which is extremely creepy. Yeah. So, so anyway, so the son uh, was obsessed with this doll when he lived with his parents, just Mm -hmm. obsessed. And they took it away and locked it up in a trunk. So when he moved back to the house, he was fine. I mean, he was a successful businessman. His wife was mm-hmm. beautiful and all that kind of stuff. And they get moving the house. And he is cleaning out the house a little bit. And he finds the trunk in the attic. And he opens it up. And Robert comes out. And guess what? He becomes obsessed by Robert again. Mm-hmm. Strange things start happening. Strange injuries happen and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't really remember what happens after that. But I, I will tell you now that Robert is in a museum in um, Key West. And people go in there and, you know, they ask his permission to take his picture. That sounds crazy, right? Well, people, there are letters all over his, all over his, he's like in a glass case. Mm -hmm. And there's letters posted all around his glass case apologizing to Robert for taking the picture and, you know, please take the curse off. And so apparently if you don't give him respect, he like curses you and crazy stuff happens to you. Now the, the 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 part about the story that I think is crazy is because all everything we've just said is just somebody's imagination right. so far, sure. right? So he's in this museum, and they used to have like a little playroom that looked a lot like the octagon room, and they mm-hmm. had that set up in the museum. And Robert sat in a, in a little rocking chair there, and um, so you know the night security guard would hear noises every once in a while or whatever. So they were coming in and they were doing some renovation. And so there was sawdust everywhere on the row, on the, on the floor and, and on the row where he was kept and stuff. And they found little footprints coming from his rocking chair going across the room and stuff. And so that story is creepy as hell. And if you've ever seen a picture of Robert, it's also very creepy. It's mm-hmm. like haunting creepy. Kinda. Yeah, he is creepy. And so the I guess the legend turns out that this woman who was the... Um, the nanny was like a voodoo mistress or something like that. And she laid some serious bad mojo on him. Yeah. We don't know. And he was possessed by an evil spirit and and he was manipulating the family. It was, it was a little crazy. Some other things I remember about that specifically, I remember after Gene moved back to the house, right. And he found the doll again, he was obsessed with it in the way that he would have it at the table, set a plate for him at the table. And his wife was like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We have company over. You're embarrassing me. Yeah. And then he started like keeping the doll like in their bedroom. And she's like, I'm weirded out by this. We ain't going to get it on with that doll <laughs> in here. No, 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 no. So she's like, put it up in the playroom. You can have it, but keep them in the playroom. So Jean spent all this money on carpenters to come in and make the playroom like a little apartment for Robert mm-hmm. and the carpenters said that they were so uncomfortable because Robert was up there watching them and he would move and they, yeah. And they would hear him and he would have a voice. Like he would say things like to them and creep which them, is weird. Yeah. Just creep them the hell out. The only other story I know about him is that like people could see him up in the playroom from the streets and they would yeah. see him yeah. like strutting. Through so here's another picture I found that from mm-hmm. our tour, then we were on there that we, you should put in your social media because mm-hmm. 
we took a picture of the house after we heard the story just mm-hmm. for fun because I, first of all, it's kind of funny. Emma and I are the same a lot of way. We see like a historic house that's really beautiful or something. We'll take a picture of it because it's like really cool, you know. Yeah. And this house is actually stunning. It's a beautiful house. It's like a like a Victorian. It's blue. It's got all this beautiful yeah, it's gingerbread. It's like kind of a, like a dubby blue. And and it's it's a beautiful house. And it's got a balcony on the second floor and then this kind of turret tower on mm-hmm. the right. So I took a picture of it and we moved on. And um, when we got back to the hotel, we were looking at the pictures. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll post the picture. But the picture of the house has hundreds of orbs floating in space yeah. around it. Now... And the reason why I said, well, this is not the camera, because we'd taken pictures all night long and hadn't seen any orbs. And I'm not an orb bitch normally, but damn, so, undeniable. Yeah, yeah. And and just to wrap that story up really quick, just around the corner from Robert was the the old Ford uh, store. Mm-hmm. And it had been a Ford dealership. And people see, every day they see like this guy hanging out, having a smoke on the street there. Yeah, the, the gangster guy. Yeah. And he's dressed like in 1940s attire, 30s attire, whatever. And the the uh, ironically the uh, tour guide was a uh, like this was her summer job because she was a school teacher I mm-hmm. think so she's standing there talking to us and I take a picture of her because she was a really good storyteller yeah, she was great. so I took a picture of her as she's telling the story because she got so into it and there was this one particular story she was telling about the Ford guy being the the gangster guy what was being seen there and she's using hand motions and I said this is crazy I'm gonna take her picture took a picture also we get back to the the hotel there's a gigantic orb. Next to her head. Now, okay, so I, I, I still don't know where I stand on the orbs, but when you zoom in on the orb, it has something inside of it. It, it yeah, it's, looks like a crab. It looks like a horseshoe crab. Which, yeah. What? That was insane. That was scary. I mean, and, and then also on that tour, we think we saw um, a ghost come out of a statue. That's yeah. So the Key West um, angel like statue was in that um, graveyard that flooded, and all of these bodies were disinterred. Yeah. And there was like a statue that looked like when we took a picture of it, it, looked like someone was stepping out of it. Super crazy. If you ever get the chance to go on a ghost tour in Key West, do it because yeah. they tell you stuff that's not ghost stuff that's also creepy. And I was going to talk about it, but it doesn't count as an urban legend if it's true. Well, crime, do you remember you know? if you be just? I don't want to spend too much time on that, but do you do you remember I had that uh, that little device on my phone where you could pick up EF, mm-hmm. EVPs, mm-hmm. like like words? Yeah, and we picked up some crazy stuff that night. It was so fun. It was probably our most like I don't know. Our, our most evidence-based like ghost thing we've ever done. It was it was, it was strange. One night. Yeah, and and when we were at that when they were at that cemetery and we thought we saw an angel come out of the, uh, like a ghost come out of this angel statue. Um, one of the words that had come up maybe like five minutes before uh, it said "see me." It also said "flood." And flood, yeah, that was oh yeah, that was oh I forgot about that. That was crazy. That one, yeah. So, um, really do that. Highly recommend it. Very fun. And if you are, you know, someone who gets scared easily, I say still go because it makes you less scared. It makes you just fascinated. Hi, tens. This is uh, Emma in post. So I had a really fun time with this one, and I think my dad did too. We got a little carried away, but. I didn't want to take anything out, so I figured we'd divide this in half. So I'm going to give you guys part one today, and next week you can get part two. So keep an eye out for that, okay? Love you, bye! It has been so lovely having you in for our little tete-a-tete. If you have any further tittle-tattles or salacious salutations, you may contact us on the World Wide Web at tensontenspodcast.com or you may follow the ladies on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok at tensontenspodcast that's 10s-o-n-10s-podcast or via email at tensontenspodcast at gmail.com Until next time, ta-ta and toodaloo!